0: Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here.
1: We can't wait to share the service with you.
2: Okay, you guys. This year, I'm going to teach you about the tradition that Mom and Dad started when I was little. And in this box, I have presents for each one of you.
3: Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: What does this little building look like to you? It looks like the shed at the sheep farm down the road. What is it for?
3: It's a place for cows and sheep to eat and sleep.
2: You're right. This is a very special stable, and I'll tell you why. But first, we must open the first gift.
3: What is it? What? Oh, my God.
2: Go get the Bible for
4: me. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he was making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, for five months and remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, "In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, a virgin pleaded to be married, To a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive... And give birth to a son, you and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you will give him the throne of his father David, and will reign over Jacob's descendants for forever. His kingdom will never end.
0: 20 and 21. but this is such a strange way to save the Uh world
3: sheep and a donkey. It's a donkey.
4: Hey, do they live in that little building? Does the stable have a feed box for the animals?
2: Let's see what the Bible says in the book of Luke.
4: In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register.
2: Now it's your turn to open a gift.
5: Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and peace on earth to those whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger when they had seen him they spread the word concerning this child, and all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
2: more gifts to open, but each of you already have one.
3: What should we do? Mom and Dad always say it is better to give than receive. And we've already received. Let's give it to someone who hasn't opened anything yet.
2: Good idea. Go find someone out there who looks very wise.
6: the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came, Jesus, and Joseph, and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be concentrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was righteous and devout about and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah moved by the Spirit he went to the temple court when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required Simon took him in his arms and praised God saying Sephora Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all
2: Right, we have one more gift to open.
3: We'll take care of it.
2: a baby?
3: No, it's, it's...
2: It's the best gift of all. But
3: it's a cross.
2: But is it supposed to be a baby? It's a cross because it represents the one who came as a baby and laid down his life on the cross for each one of us.
3: You mean Jesus?
2: Yes. Jesus' name means God saves because he came to save his people from their sins. The Bible tells us they will call him Emmanuel, which is Hebrew, for God is with us. Does this gift belong to each of us? Yes. The gift of salvation through Jesus is for everyone.
1: Um, I just want to go over a couple of Psalms and continue on in this, in this time. Uh, if you would, in your Bibles, if you have them, turn to Psalm 96. We're, we're right now, you, you might not be here, but here with us last week, but we started a, a sermon series on worship. And this is the season to worship. And I really just want to give you another idea about this word and take a look at that, um, especially because of the time that we're in, especially because of the, the amazing gift that we've been given, right? Um, today I want to do something a little different, and, and I pray that this is a time where uh, in our church, we have a spirit of prayer and worship. And, and what that really means. That's what I want to look at. I asked you last week, what is worship? And I I gave you a basic definition to start when it comes to that. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed by the way we live. Worship is not just a playlist that I have a playlist on my phone called worship that I go to. Sometimes I work out to it. Sometimes I just want to be in that mood, and so I'll put that on there. But this is a whole life response to God's revelation to us. God's revelation to us comes through his word. The greatest revelation that we have, that we saw, was in the form of Jesus Christ, right? And especially with his death on the cross. In that act, we see that he is worth the most, and I don't know about you, but I want to live in response to that. That's what it is uh, to be a Christian, right? Today, again, I I want to ask you, what is worship? We're all doing it, but what really is it? A simple definition of worship is bowing down. If somebody asks you that question, what is worship, you might not remember that other definition but i'd like you to just remember bowing down this is at the heart of worship yes it can involve singing yes it can involve music lifting your voice lifting your hands lifting a praise right it's all those things but at its heart worship is about bowing down physically bowing down that's great all right but more importantly bowing our will down to his will I think this picture will help you if you think about it, right? The first place that we see the word worship in Scripture is in Genesis 22, 5. At this time, God has told Abraham, hey, go sacrifice your son. He's done this as a test. So Abraham and Isaac are on their way, and we read this. It says this, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated Into worship is the word shakah, And the word shakah is one of the main Hebrew words that's used for worship. And it literally means to bow down. That's what it means. So the plan for Abraham and Isaac wasn't to go on this mountain and sing songs and do all this other stuff. It was to bow down. Bow down their will in honor of God's will. God's will was, they thought, for Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? Abraham's will was that his son should live. That's what he wanted, his, his only son. So Abraham had to decide, am I going to bow down my will, my way of doing things for what God wants? And he had to surrender that. He had to bow down. That's what worship is about. It's putting God on the throne and submitting yourself to him. What I want us to see today is that worship is a verb. It's not an adjective that describes something. Worship is a verb. We are doing something. We are surrendering our will for his will. Psalm 96 gives us a picture of what it looks like and how we should worship God. So I just want to focus in on the verbs there. I've never really done this, but I want to do that today. Verse 1, it says this, Sing to the Lord a new song. So part of worship can look like us singing, right? Notice, in worship, we're called to sing to the Lord. That's why I want us to understand when the praise and worship team is up front, right? We're not the audience here. They're not singing to us we're the we're the choir joining in what they're leading us there is an audience of one and that is the lord we are called to sing to the lord not to sing to ourselves not to be about us right now when you sing to somebody what are you doing what are you doing when you sing to somebody you're communicating with that person you're expressing deep feelings to that person right I want you to think about this. If I said I'm going to sing a song to my wife, you'd probably be scared. Daddy would definitely be scared, <laughs> right? But you know it would be something special. But what if I just sat down and barely sang and didn't really make eye contact with her? And, and uh, what, would, what would my wife think if I'm just kind of approaching it very lax when I'm singing to her, Right? What if I'm just singing the words with nothing, no feeling behind them? When we sing to the Lord, are we giving him the honor and glory that he's due? Are we? Or are we just kind of going through the motions, complaining about how it's not the song that we like, right? And we wish the Praise and worship team would sing this song instead, kind of just half-heartedly. Are we doing that to the one who gave up his only begotten son for us? Are we singing that way to the one who left heaven and came down to this earth and died in a most painful way so that we could be set free? Do we do that and we think that's worship? Well, what are we to sing to God? We are to sing to God a new song, right? A fresh song. So that kind of settles the hymn versus chorus debate, right? I'm kind of just kidding there, but kind of not. We're supposed to sing something new, something fresh, something relevant, something that speaks to us, something that speaks to him. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Praise, another verb that we see here, another major Hebrew word is the word barak. It means to kneel, to bless. Some of your translations might say bless his name. So a part of worship is to bless his name. What does that mean? We're putting on or we're we're invoking divine favor on his name. We're giving him praise and honor, right? We're, we're going to tell of all the good things that he's done. After that, we are to proclaim his salvation day after day. The verb there, proclaim, which is the Hebrew word basar, which means to bear tidings. Tidings of what? Tidings of his salvation. In worship, we're called to, to bear. We're called to share the good news, to, to bring it, to tell other people about it, to recount it. We go to people. We proclaim that about Him. There was a time I was dead. There was a time I had no purpose in my life. But now, because of Jesus and what He did on the cross, now I'm alive. Now I have a purpose. Now I have a future, right? I've been reborn. When I told you the story last week about us coming very close to a a major car wreck, But I said, by the hand of God, by the grace of God, he protected us from that. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming his salvation. Most of us have a testimony in here. Not all of us, but most of us who know Jesus Christ have a testimony of when God saved us and set us free from our sin. We proclaim that. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. There's the word praise again. This time it's not Barak, but it's halal. This word means to shine, to boast, to give foolish glory. So we want to shine our praise on God, right? I want to boast about God and maybe give him some foolish glory. What in the world is foolish glory? Let me give you a a picture that I think you'll be able to relate to that. When the Buckeyes were playing Notre Dame right this year and it comes down to the very last play. Do you remember that? Where they ran the ball and punched it in and as time expires, they got the victory, right? And won the game. That was a time for foolish glory. That was a time where I literally ran in circles around the room, high-fiving my son, right? I think we tackled each other. We jumped on each other. We were running. We were yelling. My wife is looking at us like, what in the world are you doing? That's foolish glory, right? We were giving the Buckeyes some of that. Have you ever given that to God? Right. Man, we're not free in church to give God foolish glory. We're not. We should be. You are. If you want to do it, do it. If you want to run around, go ahead, right? If you want to grab the flag, whirl it, bring it up here, right? If you want to dance, dance, right? I won't say anything. I want us to be free, though, to give God foolish glory. It's something that looks foolish. It's not really foolish glory. It's something that just appears that way to some people. Some people might not get it, but that's okay, right? Isn't that what our worship of our God should look like? shouldn't we be willing to do that right are you willing to raise a hallelujah are you willing to raise your hand right are you willing to get down on your knees before him and just bow down Verse 4, he is to be feared, verb, above all gods. Why? For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Worship involves fear. That might sound a little bit weird, but when we see his splendor, when we see his majesty, right, it should shake us. It should make us literally want to bow down. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. What does ascribe mean? It means to assign. It means to give, right? Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Listen, so much of our church culture is about get. That's what it's about. We come here to get something, right? Lord, bless me. Lord, do this. Lord, take care of this financial situation. Lord, help me out here. But what I want for us is to have a culture not of get, but a culture of give. We should be blessing his name. We should be ascribing, giving glory and honor to his name for he is the king of kings right the lord of lords he's the one who saved our lives he's the one who wrecked our lives who flipped them upside down and we need to assign glory for that i pray that when we're singing we're not complaining about the songs but instead we're thinking how can i bless him how can i sing this in a way that blesses him how can i sing it with all my heart with all my soul how can i give you honor and thank you for saving my life right Instead of all the things that we're focused on, I need this, I need that. There's a time to ask for those things. But first and foremost, we should give him glory. Ascribe to him those things, right? Verse 11, I'm sorry, I'm on slide 11. I don't know what verse it is. It says this, Bring an offering and come into his courts. Bring, the word is to carry, to lift up an offering. 96.8, there. So when we worship, we come with something. We bring him something, right? We lift it up. We lift up this tribute in his honor to this God, and we worship him. I'm thinking to myself, what did I bring him today? What did I bring him today, right, to offer to God? What did I bring the one who set me free at great cost to himself, what did you bring? What are you bringing? Sometimes we, we tend to make that about money, right? But what can we bring him where we will bow down? Maybe it's an attitude of grace that we need to bring. Maybe somebody's wronged us. And instead of responding with, I'm going to get that person back, maybe our offering to God is, I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to chalk that up to grace. And give that to him. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. Maybe it is something financial. Maybe it is something to sacrifice. Maybe it's just that grudge that you're just going to let down. You're going to bow your will. What you want to do for his will. That would be worship. That would be something that we can bring him. We, we come in here. We try to get in his presence to ask for something. But what if our first thought was to instead give something? offer something? What about honor and praise? What about a gift of humility? What about a song? Sang as loud as possible. That's why I sit up front. Nobody can hear me, Corey. <laughs> nobody. You got nobody in front of you. Like, if you're in the back row and you're singing, everybody in front of you is going to hear. The praise team can't hear you because they got the monitors going on. You can sit up in the front and sing as loud and as off-key as possible. Right? That's a beautiful place to be. Verse nine: Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Worship. Again, Shekah, Bow down. not just physically, not just the act where we literally bow down, right. not just the outward appearance, but bow yourself down before God with your will. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Tremble. Verb. In Hebrew, it's called "cool. It means to whirl. It means to dance. It means to writhe. There's a big difference between dancing and twirling and writhing, but I think both are appropriate for worshiping God. Wouldn't it be cool if we just trembled before him, but we also whirled and danced in his honor to give him something, right? Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Resound, Hebrew word, ra'am, and it means to thunder. Let the fields be jubilant, Allahs, to exult, to give a victory shout. Like when you win something, we're going to shout about his victory, right? Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Verbs sing, run on. It means to give a ringing cry. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the whole earth in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. My friends, do you get a sense of how loud our worship should be? Do you get a sense of how much singing, how much crying out, how much shouting, a victory cry should be going on in our praise, right? We should thunder his praise. But we're sitting there sometimes just thinking it's all about the praise team doing it, not even joining in. The awesome part about this is we can't do it well ourselves. We can't thunder and join a battle cry but ourselves. But we can do it with each other. We can do it corporately, right? You can praise and worship God by yourself, but there's something special about joining in with other followers of Christ and raising a victory cry with a bunch of people, right? Mm. Turn back a psalm to Psalm 91, 95, verse 1. It says this, Come, let us collectively. Let us sing, give a ringing cry, right, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, I love when we clap after a song. I love when we do that, right? Sometimes I'm so timid. When I look at this worship, though, it seems so, so loud, so boisterous. I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to force that. I don't want to say, well, we just got to be loud, and that's what it's all about. But I want you to know it's okay to get loud, and we should. We should be thinking about who we're singing to. We should be thinking about giving him the praise that he's due. I don't want us to hold back as a church, right? Let us come before him with thanksgiving again. Can we bring something? Thank you, Lord. Are you having trouble worshiping him? Maybe you're in the storm right now and you don't think, I don't really have anything to be thankful for. Well, do you see the cross? Do you see the price that was paid for you? How can we not come? With thanksgiving. And extol him with music and song. Extol Ruah. To raise a shout. Give a blast. Shout with joy. Why would we do that? For the Lord is the great God. The great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Worship is a result of seeing God for who he is. Some of you have seen the mountain mover, and he's done some amazing things in your life. Bow down, right? We're responding to who he is, and according to this, he is the great God, the great king above all gods. Amen? So verse 6, yeah, come, come, Let us again, collectively, bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Bow down, kara, which means to bow down, right? Worship, shakha, which also means to bow down, and then barak, to kneel or to bless. It's saying we bow down to bow down, and then we kneel before the Lord, our maker. What in the world is going on there? This is reminding us that we should bow down Physically. But more important, with everything. With the way we live. With our heart, right? That's when you worship God in spirit and in truth. The inside matches the outside. We can sing praise and worship music all day, but if we're just singing that and then we're going out of here and doing whatever we want, whatever our will is and rejecting his will, then it's just lip service, right? The inside has to match the outside. I want to be genuine as a follower of Christ. That's the heart of worship. Let us get on our faces before God. Not just literally but with our spirit as well, with our wills. For he is, listen to this, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. If you don't know Christ, you're missing out, right? Notice the progression. At first, in the verse before this, right, he's the great God who does all these things. He holds the world in his hands. He holds the universe in his hands. But notice this speaks to relationship. Isn't this the best place to be, to be in his flock, under his care? I can't think of anything better. Let me give you a warning. Today, If only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, my friends, when you hear the story of the Savior's birth, right? When you hear about the great God who loves you, when you see that, when you experience that, do not harden your hearts. You've got two choices and only two choices when it comes to God's revelation, you can bow down or you can harden your heart. And that's a scary place to be. Every time you enter this place, every time you hear his voice, every time you open up the Bible and you read the word, right, you have the choice. Bow down or harden your hearts. Those are the only two choices there are. Get this, if I, if I asked everyone in here, you, you might have been coming to this church for 50 years, right? If I asked, do you worship God, Most of us would say, yes, I'm a a worshiper of God. But what if God told you to forgive that person that hurts you, right? What if God told you to lay this one thing that you really love down? What if God told you to give sacrificially? Your response to that tells you if you worship God. Because either you're going to bow down and do what he calls you to do, or you're going to harden your heart. And if you're in the place where you're not willing to bow down, don't think you're a worshiper of God. Don't make that mistake. Because worship is all about bowing your will, right? Here's what you need to realize if you do harden your hearts. Harden, kasha, means to be hard, to be stubborn. I'm not going to bow my knee to no one, right? Well, verse 11. So I declare on oath in my anger. Some translations say in my wrath. They shall never enter my rest. There's a place where you can choose living in the wilderness or living in the grace of God's rest. One's filled with anxiety. One's filled with all the unknown, and the other is filled with the peace and joy of God, even in the storms. The place of peace and joy only comes from a life surrendered to God, though, in worship. Do you need peace in your life? Bow down. Worship him. Whatever he calls you to do, follow that right come and bow down and place everything under his care worship at its heart is about bowing in response to whatever he re- reels to us in our modern tra- day translations the word worship i don't know if it really conveys the act of bowing down like it should right? It was meant to. William Tyndale was the first person to take the Greek and Hebrew and translate it into English. There was a a man a hundred and some years before him that translated from the Latin to it, but William Tyndale got the original languages and translated that. He was labeled a heretic by the Catholic church. He was strangled and he was burned at the stake, but he translated the word for us before he did that. And it was recently discovered what his motivation and thinking was with the word worship. It's in the prologue to Exodus, and explains it this way. We need to understand this about worship. This is what he said. By worshiping, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, understand it's the bowing down of man's self upon the ground. As we oftentimes do, as we kneel in our prayers, bow ourselves and lie on our arms and hands with our face to the ground. That's what he meant by that word worship, that he chose to translate those other words to. That's the idea that he had in his mind. Worship is a response to the worthiness of God. And the only response that is worthy of that is to bow down. At the end of the day, I want us to get it as a church. I want us to really understand what worship is about. I want us to move on for that lip service, that singing, that's great, that's a part of it. But I want us to realize it involves action. Worship is a verb, right? Here's here's a new definition. It is singing fresh new songs to bless the eternal and unchanging God as we kneel before him. It is to testify and bear tidings of good news as we recount and relate to others who he is and what he has done, boasting and shining the light of our praise on his greatness, sometimes foolishly, but with fear and reverence as we come, bringing gifts and tributes, fitting for the almighty giver of life and bow down before him, rising to whirl and dance as we rejoice and find our joy in him thunderously. So with elation and shouts of victory, hands high and a ringing cry, making music with instruments and shouting with joy with thanksgiving as we lift his name highest, for he is worthy of all praise from all people forever and ever amen that's worship it's not just lip service it's a whole life response to the grace of god how do we get there you got to know what he did for you you got to understand that right we see the glory of a God who created this universe. If you look around you, there's some amazing things going on that you see in nature, right? That's good. We see billions of planets and stars in our galaxies and beyond, beyond, and we can't even comprehend that. That's impressive. But unless you see radical grace, you're missing it. We see a God who loves us so much that he sends his only begotten son to this earth. We see that, 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 that son come to this earth and bow down to his father's will and approach the cross. We see him do that for the joy set before him for what they would accomplish. He willingly goes to the cross and dies in the most painful, humiliating way so that we could be set free, so that we could know him. I have many sins. And the only hope I have is if that's true. And I know it is because he's flipped my life upside down you got to see that. And you got to respond by bowing down and coming before him and asking him, Lord, forgive me. I am unworthy. And if you do that, I'll live in response to that the rest of my life. I'll make you my Lord, my Savior. Whatever you call me to do, I'll surrender to that. Worship is a verb, and it's a response to God's revelation. Would you stand with me? I don't know if you know him or you don't know him. I don't know if you met him when you were a kid, like these young kids did, and you're sitting out here today, and it's been a long time since you've been in his presence. It's been a long time since you've bowed down But here's the choice before you. Bow down right now or harden your hearts and go away from this place. But know this, if you do that, the word says you'll never find rest. If there was ever a time in our history where we've longed for rest, it's right now. I don't know about you, but I feel too busy. With stuff. But I know what it's like to dwell with the King of Kings and know his peace and know his joy, even when the storm's going on around you. Can I offer you the gift of eternal life? You can have it if you bow down, if you confess that you're a sinner, if you repent of that and say, I'm done living for that, right? You can go out of this place knowing him as your Lord and Savior and knowing the peace and joy that comes from that. It's up to you. It's your choice. Bow down or harden your hearts. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for coming to this earth, for dying on a cross for us. Lord, none of us are good. Not one person in here. We are all in need and totally dependent on your grace. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We accept that, Lord. Father, help us to live in response to that. Help us to share the good news with other people. If there's somebody in here who hasn't accepted you as Lord and Savior, if there's somebody in here who maybe prayed that prayer a long time ago, but they've gone a different path, Lord, Father, would you give them the choice? Would you ask them to bow down? And, Father, I pray that they would do that. That they would surrender themselves to you, that they would acknowledge that they're sinners, and the only hope that they have is you. Lord, I know that's the case with myself. Father, this is the time of season where in America we remember, we celebrate your birth, Lord. Father, I pray that this would be a time of worship in our families, that we would do that. Father, I know this time is a time to focus in on presence in our culture, but Lord, As the kids taught us, would you remind her that there is one present that goes far beyond all of us. I pray that we'd all accept it, Lord. Lord, we ask this in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.